Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. The book of 1 Samuel, chapter 25. And to be honest with you, I've just really struggled where to start in this particular chapter because it's a, just an incredible story. And uh, I was I was talking to Brother Paul McGee yesterday afternoon, and I said, you know, I've just got, seem like several thoughts that are rolling around. I'm just trying to get them in line. He said, well, I've been there many, many times. But I don't have these scriptures on the, for you on the screen, but if you'll just bear with me, I, I want to read uh, just a couple, and then we'll get to these. Um, the Bible says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse number 2, there was a man in Maon whose possessions were in Carmel. And that man was very great and had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of, of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. She was a woman of good understanding. I think that's so important. And I think we'll see that in a moment. She was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings. And he was at the house of Caleb. So when opposites attract, in that a strange world, we see those worlds collide. And now if you'll drop with me, the story goes on that David heard that, that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so David who had been protecting Nabal and his possessions. He thought, well, you know, there would be nothing wrong with just asking Nabal if he would mind allowing us to shear our sheep, if he would help us with this. And so David sent out ten men, and, and he said to the young men, he said, I need you to go down to Carmel. I want you to, I want you to ask David and just ask David if, if you would mind saying to him, and he said, we come in peace, and I've heard that you're shearing sheep, and... And, uh, you know, we, we've protected everything you had. Everything you had, there's nothing missing. We've, we've held our end of the deal. And we heard that you're shearing and, and thy shepherds which were with us. And we have not hurt them. Neither was there aught, anything missing while they were with us in Carmel. So he said, I just want you to ask him if, if he will help us. We, we just need a return favor. That's really what this boils down to. And in verse number 9, the Bible says, When David's young men came, they spake to Nabal according to all the words in the name of David and ceased. And in verse 10, the Bible says, And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away from every man from his master. He asked a very simple question, but it was a very foolish question. Amen. And I want to speak to you this morning from this thought, the question of the ages. The question of the ages. Because this proved to be a question 
that would not just be asked and then just hang in the atmosphere. But this question would cause a ripple effect and it would cause the undoing of many things. Amen. God bless you and you can be seated. I appreciate the spirit of praise and worship and everything that has happened right up to this moment. Thank you for a powerful word of the Lord this morning, Brother Newburn shared with us and the challenge in our spirit. The book of 1 Samuel 25 tells a story that involves many characters, but if we could boil them down, there would be really three main characters, and that would be King David, and of course this churlish man, as the scripture calls him, Nabal, and then this lady, this beautiful lady, the Bible talks about of a beautiful countenance, and this lady that had great understanding, this lady Abigail of old. A few miles south of Hebron, this man had a, a lot of wealth. He had garnered a lot of things. And, and this man, Nabal, though he was an evil man and, and an unpredictable man, he had carved out quite an empire and owned a lot of livestock as we saw in our text. It seemed for Nabal that everything was going well. Life just couldn't get any better until, until David sent some young men and said, we just need some help. We've done a lot of things for you. Those things should have gone unsaid or even unspoken because Nabal was certainly familiar with who David was. David had protected he and his men. And, and so, as I said a moment ago, David is just asking, you know, just a return favor. This is not, this is really low-hanging fruit for you, Nabal. And uh, David sent those men to ask for food and drink at his ranch. And, and uh, David and his men, had, had, they had been the fortress. They had been the, uh, they had been the guarding force. They had been that protective fence around Nabal and all of the things that he owned. They protected the farmland and, and those that were there to tend the sheep and, and the cattle. And, but in the process of asking for something in exchange, in the process of asking for just a favor for all the protection, it's just seeming here that this churlish man, this unwise man, asked the question of the ages, who is David? And so to you and I, if we are just reading this story at face value, if we just assume this, is, it is what it is, and there is nothing underlying, it would seem like an innocent question, who is David? But it seems odd that he would act as though he didn't know who David was because he went on to say the son of Jesse. So it's obvious that if you knew his, his father and his lineage. And, uh, and so when Nabal asked David's servants who he was, and these servants went back to give their report, David's waiting to find out what, what happened, what, what was the end result of the mission that you've been on. Uh, when they told him that he asked, who is David? And we're not sure. Maybe this is just a, a farce here. Maybe, you know, every now and then servants escape and somebody's asking something for nothing. And this infuriated David. It infuriated him. It was a helicopter moment. David didn't need a runway. To, to make any decisions here. It was a helicopter moment. It infuriated David. And in a moment of time, David looked at those men and he said, I want you to gird your sword. Because David, was, he was really trying to say, since he don't know me, I'm going to go introduce myself. He will know, he may not have known me this morning. 
He may not have known me when the sun rose this morning, but he will know me when the sun sets tonight. He's going to know me. There was about uh, to be a bloodbath that would, that would be discussed for years. And David vowed to those men. He said, we're not just going to slaughter Nabal, but we're going to slaughter everybody and everything on his farm. All of his family and all of his servants and all of his sheep and his entire village and I would submit to you today that in our flesh, we may think, you know, David was right. He can go down there and settle this score and show him who's who and be a man among men. But in truth, David was about to make the biggest mistake of his life. But God in His mercy, I began to think about this merciful God as Brother Newburn taught this morning about the woman called in adultery. God just has a way of allowing grace to intercept moments in our life. Oh, my goodness, a grace, grace, God's grace. Where would we be without the grace of God? God, in His mercy, somehow, in the course of all of this exchange, the story that happened, the question that Nabal had asked these young men, yes, they went back to David's camp and shared this, but those men continued to talk about this in their camp. Somebody heard and overheard rather Nabal as he communicated with David's men. And in the course of all that, there was Abigail, his wife. There was this beautiful woman that had great understanding. Somebody told Abigail what happened in a moment it was as though Nabal and and it was though oblivious to what was going on and yet here was Abigail and David in the same frame of mind David said immediately gird on your swords men we're going to battle and we're going to take everything out and it seems as though at least in scripture that she had that same feeling in her heart that we got to do something and we got to do it now. We've got to act and we've got to act quick. So the Bible says that she started putting together some gifts for David. The scripture says that she had 200 loaves of bread and two skins of wine, five sheep that were ready for cooking, a bushel of roasted grain, and a hundred raisin cakes and 200 fig cakes. I'm not assuming that that uh, she took the time to make all of this. Somewhere this gift must have been in preparation or at least it must have been in waiting for their own personal use. But she said, we've got to take this to David now. We've got to put this out. We've got to stop this fire. All she had done, she loaded all of these things or had them loaded on donkeys and, and she's on her way to meet David and his men. She knows David is not going to take this sitting down. She realizes that even though she didn't hear the report in David's camp, she knew that David was a man among men and he was not going to take this sitting down and she had some insight, some understanding, the Bible says, that proved to be valuable. She saw it for what it was and she knew that what it had the potential to become. And so David and, and, and Nabal, here are two strong-willed men, men who are about to collide. Worlds are fixing to come together in a furious life and death struggle. Two raging lions are about to meet in a path and they're going to unleash their fury, but it's not going to end well. Many lives will be lost, but grace. Amen, but thank God. Thank God for grace. Grace, amen. Grace is about to intercede. Amen. This time her name was Abigail. It was a stark contrast 
to who were introduced uh, as Nabal, this churlish man. Amen. The Bible talks about this word churlish. It uh, means a man of folly, a man that played loose and loud with life. A man that was willing to roll the dice and 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 run the risk, but Abigail, she was a, she was a well she was well thought out, and and she said we got to we got to consider all things involved here. Amen. I, I when I read the story of Abigail and Nabal, pardon the expression, but I just see a real life picture of the beauty and the beast. I mean, you just think when they walk down the street, somebody's passing by them and wondering how did he get her. And what does she do to wind up with him? I mean, it's the, the beauty and the beast, certainly, uh, if not physically, in their heart. Abigail went to David, and she, were, she told David, she said, David, you've got to stop. I don't know what kind of relationship that they had prior to this. I don't know if they had ever had a conversation prior to this, but there was one thing for sure. Abigail knew David, and she understood the implications of what's about to happen. Now, one would think if we just pause this story here that Abigail's just trying to save her own neck. She's just trying to save her own family. She's trying to save her own farm. She's trying to save uh, the, the economics of her own house. But that is not at all what seems to be at the heart of Abigail. Because when Abigail came to David, she was trying to tell him, here's one thing that you need to remember, David. You're a king. And a king doesn't need to be messing with a churlish man. You're a king and you don't need to get caught up in the folly of this man. She reminded him that you're about to get caught and you're about to get blood on your, on your hands and it's going to be the blood of a churlish man. You don't deserve to waste your time here, David. You live above this. Amen. God has called you to a place much higher than this. She was God's voice in David's life to keep him on track. And so when Abigail got back home, she has quieted the fire. David has decided, you know what, Abigail? You're right. I'm just going to remember who I I am and we're going to put our sword back in the sheath. We're going to we're going to we're going to put all our shields away and we're going to go back home. So Abigail goes home. She goes home now and and when she gets home, she's coming home to share the news of what was about to happen. Nabal, he didn't have enough sense to think ahead. He didn't have enough sense to plan for what might happen when David's men get back to David. And so the Bible says that when she got back home, she found her husband drunk. And so she said, you know, there's no need to share this with him today. He's not even going to remember it in the morning. But the Bible says she waited till the next day to tell him what she had done. And upon hearing these words, the Bible says that Nabal's heart stopped within him. Him. It's a very curious scripture, really. It's a very curious and interesting story. But basically, what we may say is that Nabal had a massive stroke in that moment. He could not move. He was paralyzed. He couldn't get up. He couldn't sit up. He couldn't walk. Amen. And there he lied for 10 days. But 10 days later, he died. In the end, when David heard about Nabal's death, he sent word and he brought Abigail back to his house because she was going to need a husband and he certainly wanted a wife of that caliber. And so he married her. And here is my point today that David did not allow his anger to triumph over his kingly calling. David understood. He lost sight of it for a moment, but God sent grace. Amen. God sent grace in the lady's name by Abigail that said, no, no, David, you need to turn these men around. No. No, 
no, David, you need to put those swords up. No, David, don't go do what's in your heart to do because you're a king. You've got an anointing upon your life and you don't need to climb down off of this wall. It was like Nehemiah that said, hey, we're doing a great work. I can't come down off of this wall. God has called me to something much, much greater than this. And so here is the centerpiece of this story. Abigail knew about the call of David on David's life and she knew that he had been anointed king over Israel and so the message that she was trying to convey to David was simply somewhat I think it was simple but somewhat powerful amen because when David's men approached Nabal and he said who is David amen Abigail was kind of playing off of that statement I believe that Abigail was saying he may have forgotten who you are but you don't ever need to forget who you are Nabal may be standing there saying who is David Uh, who is this son of Jesse maybe this churlish man maybe this light hearted man maybe this loose playing man forgot who you are David but you need to go look in the mirror and remind yourself that there is an anointing There's an anointing of God and so you cannot forget who you are. And so I believe here is the message for you and I today that even when others forget who you are, we can never forget who we are. Hallelujah. Others may ignore it. Others may never acknowledge it. But we need to remember who we are. Several days ago, I heard a man share a story that he was in the company of a very prominent businessman, uh, really a world figure, a very prominent, successful businessman being interviewed. And, and uh, this, this man was surrounded by somewhat uh, some critics and, and, and they were trying to poke and, and, and they were trying to prod and they were trying to find the weakness in his armor, so to speak. And, and, and there were critics in the crowd. They were just trying to get him to step out of line. They were trying to bait him so that he would say something that they could take and run and perhaps it would become the front page or headline news. These questions were all intentional. They were designed to throw him off. They were designed to distract him. But no matter how many questions they threw his way, this man that was sharing the story, he was just an observer. He was in the crowd. He was watching as one after another, after another, after another was trying to whittle away at his character and as at his integrity. Amen. He never treated them any different. He never answered them any differently. While others were asking sensible and reasonable questions, he honored their questions. But he never treated those that were trying to dishonor him any differently than those that were asking asking sensible questions. And so this man sharing the story, he began to talk about how he was moved and how he was impacted by this businessman that even in the face of opposition, here is what he saw. He said, he said, he never forgot who he was, even though they wouldn't recognize who he was. He never forgot who he was. Amen. I believe today that Simon Peter made it clear for every blood bought, born again child of God in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 9. He said, Of you and I today, that you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who 
who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so I just want to tell you tomorrow when you go to work and somebody has forgotten who you are and they're talking indifferently about you. Amen. They may have forgotten who you are, but you don't forget who you are. They may treat you differently, but we need to understand I've got to respond. I've got to respond, but I need to respond like I'm a chosen generation. I need to respond like a royal priest would respond. I need to respond like a member of a holy nation would respond. I need to respond like a peculiar person would respond. I need to respond and remember that I have been called to show forth the praises of a God that called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And so no matter what hell may be trying to concoct right now for you, no matter what hell may be working on to try to take you down and reveal your weakness and reveal the chinks in your armor and reveal the flaws in your life. Amen. Don't let the enemy, don't let hell prod you into doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing, being in the wrong place. They may have forgot who you are, but I want to remember that I'm a blood-bought child of the King. In and of myself, I have nothing to boast of. In and of myself, I have nothing to brag about. But I'm going to tell you that when I repented of my sins and I went down in a pool of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sins, and when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, hallelujah, I joined a chosen generation. Hallelujah. I joined a priesthood. I joined a holy nation. Hallelujah. I've been called to acquire. I've been called to acquire to show forth the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Abigail was saying to David, you're a better man than this, David. Don't let your flesh get in the way. The man, David said, you'll know me today. The man, David said, They'll never forget my name. But Grace said, David, put your sword away. Grace said, David, you're a king. And you need to act like a king. Mm. Amen. Don't fall into the trap that this churlish man has set before you. Amen. This would not be the last time that David would have to stay focused on what God had called him to be. Oh, long after David was anointed to be the king, Saul tried to kill him on more than one occasion. David's playing his harp, trying to soothe the spirit. The javelin Saul would come his way, barely escaping. It's an interesting story, really. Saul goes into a cave, into the very cave that David and his men were in. 
They're there for completely two different reasons. And so I just want to speak in the Holy Ghost to somebody today. Because you've got to be careful of the voices that you surround yourself with. Because depending on who's holding the brush, you can paint that picture anyway. Saul has meandered into a cave where David and his men are hiding and Saul is completely unaware that his enemy is there. And I'm not trying to be unkind because from a warring man's point of view, David's man was right. He was trying to say, David, think about this. What are the odds? We would all be in the same cave together? He's in a vulnerable position. You could take him out. This has to be God. This has to be God. Go get him, David. Go get him, David. But I just want to think somehow the spirit of Abigail was reminding him, you're a king, David. And kings act like kings. Kings don't act like wild men. David slipped in and he cut a little bit of the skirt off of his heart. And even that convicted him and condemned him. He waved that skirt. I could have had you. So I could have taken you out. Men. One of those men so desperately trying to spiritualize this moment. But somehow in the middle of all that, I'm just not sure I want to paint a picture in your mind if I may. Perhaps David remembered that Saul was God's anointing. But he also remembered that afternoon that he was called out of the shepherd's field and to stand in the presence of all of his brothers and his father and how that Samuel took that horn of oil and anointed it on him. I'm not sure that David still smelled that oil. Nor am I con convinced that the garment David was wearing still had those, those stains on them. But what I am telling you that in his mind it was fixed. I'm a king. And kings don't act like this. Amen. I want you to stand with me today. I think it behooves all of us to remember that we have been redeemed by the blood. Not just any blood, but the blood of the Lamb. And the Bible says that when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Lord would raise up a standard. Amen. Against him. And so here's what I like to think about when I read that scripture is that no matter how high the water gets, the standard will always be higher. The flag will always be higher. Amen. Today, we're children of God. Holy Ghost-filled children of God. And as such, we need to remember who we are, even if others have forgotten. Amen. Even if others have forgotten, I want to say, Lord, help us today. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386 935 
2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.